listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Incredible article coming out of MedPage today. Really want to dive into this, and we have two very special guests. The The title of the article was A Successful Test to Treat Program Requires All Hands on Deck and How the FDA Should Eliminate Barriers to Prescribing COVID Antivirals and the AMA Must Stand Down. This is written by Dr. Amish Adalja, who is uh, prominent in the media, especially over the last 18 to 24 months. He has been a lightning rod of information through the pandemic. He has been part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network and talked to us about the pandemic and how we have to work together. I always say hashtag TogetherRx, and I couldn't think of a better guest to bring on today than the CEO of the American Pharmacists Association, Dr. Scott Knorr, and welcoming back uh, Amish um, to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Welcome, both of you. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me. So let's jump into this. First of all, happy uh, National Doctors' Day. Today we're recording this on March 30th of 2022. And everything that you do uh, for our nation and for 300 million-plus Americans, I want to give a shout-out to all doctors, um, of what you're doing out there. Thank you so much for your work. So Scott reached out to me and when I get a text from the CEO of the APHA, it makes my day. So it may, it's something that if it's a call and it's time to activate uh, anything and everything we can do through social media, through our podcast network, which reaches about 125,000 listeners, I, uh, I listen immediately. And he says, hey, there was an op-ed written by um, Dr. Dalja that that really digs into the test to treat program and and how he uh, believes that we have to access our pharmacist abilities, the trust that they have, as well as the accessibility more than anything, seeing patients 10 times uh, more than a primary care physician. So with that, I wanna start off with, um, with Scott. Why did you feel that this was necessary to bring to the attention of our listeners? And, and what was your impression of, of this article? Yeah, it was a phenomenal article, Todd, and I'd, I'd really like to uh, thank Dr. Adalja for, for penning that. Um, you know, uh, I got to be careful not to give too long answers to, to short questions. But Todd, you know, pharmacy uh, has really been at the forefront during the pandemic, right? We, uh, I mean, we've literally saved the world through immunizations. Uh, I have old data in August of 2021, uh, pharmacy had given 229 million uh, COVID-19 vaccinations. It's uh, well over 300 now. And, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, I, I like to say we talk a lot about uh, public health, obviously, over the last couple of years. And I like to think that pharmacy is, is actually public health infrastructure, right? Our, our pharmacists, uh, all of our healthcare workers, you know, responded to the call. 
But uh, especially when the, the pandemic first started, um, there was no access. I, I was still chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic when it happened, and we stopped doing all elective procedures. You could not see uh, a physician unless it was really, really a, a crisis. But pharmacies were open, right? Uh, pharmacies, uh, we really demonstrated uh, our access through this. And quite frankly, one of our biggest barriers, uh, we, we've uh, attempted to you know, pass uh, laws to allow pharmacists to uh, practice at the top of their license, uh, and that they haven't been particularly effective. But you know, right now, I mean, the timing is just outstanding because we have a new uh, bill that has uh, been introduced, the Equitable Community Access to Pharmacists um, Law ECAPS, yeah, I'm sorry, Equity Community uh, Access to Pharmacy Services, HR 7213 which would really allow uh, exactly what Dr. Dollar was talking about, uh, test and treat. So um, for antivirals, uh, pharmacists were given uh, the ability to both test and treat um, with, with uh, and, and then later on some stuff was sort of walked back. But if you come in and you have a definitive test for COVID, pharmacists should be able to treat patients with uh, oral antivirals. Um, so, um, you know, when the public health emergency is uh, determined to be over and then the PREP Act is no longer in effect, all the rules that were suspended, uh, like pharmacists being able to immunize pediatric patients in every state, will go away. So right now, while people understand the benefit of pharmacy, you know, it's very important for us to get that through. And, and quite frankly, I started this, uh, the AMA has really uh, been a barrier to expanding that and to allow pharmacists to to, to practice at the top of their license. You know, great organization, they do a lot of cool, good stuff. We've collaborated them with them on prior authorizations and ivermectin statements and all, but on this one, um, I, I liked uh, uh, the, the quote that was in that article that you know, they've sort of, they gotta stop their guild mentality. And pharmacists don't wanna be doctor, physicians. We don't wanna be physicians. We have specific training and we wanna maximize that. Dr. Dauja, we love the quote. We can't have a guild-like mentality that seeks to use government force to exclude qualified persons from engaging in a field for which the AMA wants physicians to be the exclusive purveyors. Could you kind of expand upon the the, the written article and um, and how this is a a public health um, issue uh, that that we have to we have to move through? Well, what I was trying to really focus on in the article was the fact that we're in the middle of a public health emergency and we need all hands on deck. We need to be able to use all our resources to use these great tools that medicine and science have given us, like the antivirals, like the vaccines, like the monoclonal antibodies. And what we can't have is kind of the, the bureaucracy that often is part of organized healthcare, where doctors try to keep other professions out of their field and and nurse practitioners try to keep uh, keep physician assistants out and th that type of where everybody's in their guild and they're all trying to protect their turf in the middle of a public health emergency where we have hospitals in crisis people unable to get access to vaccines or to monoclonal antibodies or to antivirals and people are still kind of trying to score points you know for their own political pressure groups that's not something that should exist to begin with and it's even worse when it's existing in in a pandemic when there's a public health emergency so I've been somebody who's been outspoken about advanced or increasing scope of practice for many allied health professionals uh, in opposition to the AMA and to, to medical societies uh, all around the country. And this, I thought, was another example of how this, this type of thinking really ends up causing damage and, and, harming, and harming people. And 
it was, and when it comes to the antivirals, it was really ludicrous because what they were kind of citing was the fact that one of them, Paxlovid, has a lot of drug-drug interactions when it's actually the pharmacist that doctors rely on to sort through those drug-drug interactions. So it really was paradoxical because I would argue that the average family physician has less knowledge about drug-drug interactions than the average pharmacist uh, and, and, and will be deferring to that pharmacist completely. So to me, this just seemed to be kind of, uh, it, it just had no basis in reality and, and was, it was, was absurd. And I wanted to call it out, and especially in, in the middle of a pandemic. And we appreciate that. And, and it's in it. You're right. It's like we keep hearing from the American Pharmacists Association and many of our associations within the pharmacy profession that this, they don't want a turf war. They like doing what they've been trained to do. Pharmacists are so analytical. They just want to dig into that med med interaction, the med uh, allergic reactions, the um the, the ability to shift into the world of, of pharmacogenomics, for example, to dig deeper into the DNA of a of a patient's impact of, of absorbing medications and metabolizing. So it's it's just, it folds right into um, the narrative of the American Pharmacists Association saying, once again, we don't want to be physicians. We like working with primary care. We like working with the physician specialist. We want to do our job. And you and the government and the AMA just have to get out of the way and let pharmacists do what they were trained to do. Scott, you kind of talked a little bit about this at the annual event that we just got done. It was so good to see people. Shout out to uh, Dr. Sandra Liel and Dr. Teresa Toll for their work and in their leadership. And um, and just kind of echo what you were talking about at the event with regards to testing and immunizations. Yeah, well, and, you know, that's another one. Uh, you know, pharmacists have been immunizing for uh, over 20 years. And, uh, you know, frankly, they may oppose that uh, originally. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't have patients dying in the streets. Uh, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics and the AMA opposed uh, allowing pharmacists in the health crisis to immunize, immunize pediatric patients in every state. Uh, again, we're not having catastrophic losses. Pharmacists are trained very well uh, on immunization. Uh, so we're, you know, that's just that's kind of what we do. But I want to talk a little bit uh, about uh, you know interprofessional care, and clearly Dr. Adalja understands that, and you know he's uh, uh, with, with uh, Johns Hopkins, one of the top uh, health systems in, in the country. I was at Cleveland Clinic, another one of the top health systems in the country. We didn't have turf in the Cleveland Clinic, right? Our physicians relished their their pharmacists, uh, you know, and, and uh, they they depended on their pharmacists. Our pharmacists, you know, rounded in ICUs. Uh, Dr. Dalsha is an ICU, ED, and infectious diseases physician, which is a lot. And all those areas are areas where I put more pharmacists uh, in those roles. And, uh, you know, so we can't do it alone. There's a crisis in access in this country. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I forget the group I, for pharmacy, it's American Association of College of Pharmacy, whatever the medical one is, American College of Medicine or whatever that, that represents them. They had a survey that up to 130,000 primary care physicians were going to be short uh, in the future. So I, I don't understand the, the argument uh, because even if they wanted to, to absolutely take care of every patient and not have a pharmacy involved, they, they can't do it. They, they need a team. Um, so, you know, that's what we're looking at. But, uh, but I get it because, okay, APHA pharmacy groups have been turfy in the past. Uh, I'm changing that. But pharmacists 
you know, a lot of them uh, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, didn't want technicians to do things like, like tech, check, tech. Okay. It's a non-judgmental task. Our pharmacists, you know, in, in our community pharmacies are uh, because of PBM reimbursement. Uh, Todd, you know this. It used to be 20 years ago, you could make a good living dispensing prescriptions and you could talk to your patients. And I could talk to your mom about her diabetes. The PBMs have siphoned any reasonable profit uh, out of that. And pharmacists, uh, you know, and, and we're, we're starting to have pharmacy deserts. I mean, I still like to say that 90% of the population lives within five miles of a pharmacy, but we're losing uh, thousands of pharmacies, community pharmacies a year. So the primary problem is a reimbursement problem. It's uh, fundamentally perverse incentives. We're only reimbursed in community pharmacies for volume, okay? It used to be you dispense a product and you would get reimbursed for that. And again, it was enough. Now the PBMs are stuck out, it's not, okay? So the fundamental problem is incentives. Pharmacists, and, and I have nothing against our chains or you know, uh, Walgreens, the big chains, they're all, uh, they're businesses, right? And if, if they're in an area where they're not gonna make money, they're not gonna have a pharmacy, okay? Are they evil? Absolutely not. It's, it's business, you know, that's why we have a, a pharmacy deserts. So what this bill would do, would make pharmacists eligible providers under Medicare and the Social Security Act for the first time. Okay, so physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, social workers, nurse midwives are all listed so they can bill for their scope of practice. Pharmacists are not. So this would list pharmacists as providers, very limited, okay, just for test and treat, and it's uh, RSV, strep, flu, and, uh, and COVID. You know, where there's a definitive test, it's not judgment. This is a test, you either have it or you don't, and this is the therapy. So this would be the first step toward changing a model to pay pharmacists for the right things, okay? And if we're paid for the right things by Medicare, the largest payer, then we can uh, have pharmacies in inner cities. We can have pharmacies in rural areas where they're dropping like flies. You know, I, I live in Alexandria, Virginia. There are three pharmacies within about four blocks of me. I don't have an access issue, right? But, but rural America and inner city America does. So this is uh, really helping fundamentally change the, if you if you wanted to, to create the most screwed up model for pharmacy, you would you would create exactly what we've got. Dr. Doja, what do you think can be done from a I, I guess I can use the word politics uh, perspective to to really open handly go to some organization, for example, like the American Medical Association, say we are just asking for the ability to to play our part as pharmacists like what what has to happen to show such a, a large and powerful organization that does m so many amazing things for our public health sectors but what's your advice to pharmacists that are listening the pharmacists have the data they've actually been doing this they did it during h1n1 they've done it through the covid vaccination and they do it all the time with drug drug interactions i don't i, I think <clears throat> I think that people are kind of maybe being a little bit naive about the AMA's motives here. I don't necessarily think you can you 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 can think that they're, that they're doing this because they don't understand or they they don't know the data. They know the data. This is about protecting their memberships turf, and I think we we have to kind of move away from that type of paradigm. And and I think you just have to articulate this is there's clear data 
that shows that pharmacists can practice to the top of their scope safely, effectively, and it actually serves a major gap in the system that we have. We just heard about pharmacy deserts. We know with COVID-19, it is you have a short, short time window to get maximal benefit from drugs like Paxlovid and Malnipiravir. You, you need to be able to do that right away. And I, I think from the public health perspective, everyone in the public health field understands this even probably in the infectious disease field of medicine everyone understands this that this is some, this is a massive oversight and the AMA is wrong they actually got a lot of criticism from people in my own field of infectious disease and I think if you look for example at the infectious disease society of America for example they're probably much more uh, receptive to this than the AMA so I think what ends up happening is the specialty organizations have to it may have to come from doctors ourselves that the specialty organizations have to push the AMA saying this is the wrong type of policy and and there's data to support it, and you shouldn't be doing this in a pandemic. And you all know that when it comes to the issues you're citing regarding these antivirals, pharmacists are at least uh, as adept at prescribing than the average primary care doctor would be uh, on, on these medicines. So I, I think of the associations in our profession, Scott, and there have been even turf wars within pharmacy per se. And But yep. I also have seen attitude changes from the leadership, starting with yourself when you came in. And there has been so much collaboration between um, the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the National Association of Specialty Pharmacists, the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, and then uh, the APHA that has reached out to all of them to assure that we're working together. Is there a move from the collective associations to uh, respectfully approach the AMA and say, come on, let's uh, let's tell it like it is and let's do this for, you know, public health per se and and stop with the turf wars of how many times you've said quote unquote, stop with the turf wars yeah. on, on Twitter and on LinkedIn. But what, where do we go from here, Scott? Uh, that is a great question. And I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because you're right. Every, every profession, everyone can, can get turfy, right? And uh, we've had another bill out uh, under pharmacists in underserved areas attempting to have provider status uh, for Medicare for federally underserved areas. And there's a lot of them. And uh, actually, a couple of the far, and I'm not naming names here, but a couple of pharmacy organizations uh, didn't sign on to that. Okay. And for various reasons, you know, uh, uh, some of them thought maybe you had to have more specialized training. Uh, you know, every pharmacist since I believe 1998 uh, has got a doctor of pharmacy degree, right? And, and the ones before that, at least 23 years of experience. So, you know, we're, we're heavily trained. Uh, in, you know, related to pharmacy. And we have, uh, as uh, Dr. Dalsha just pointed out, uh, you know, more training than our, our primary, uh, primary care physicians in drug therapy. We don't, we aren't trained in diagnosis, we aren't trained in lots of things, but that's our wheelhouse. Well, I can proudly say, uh, uh, Todd, for the first time in my recollection, for a, a bill like this, every pharmacy organization uh, that I asked uh, and I, I asked them all, has signed on to this. Okay, so there were uh, a couple in the past that hadn't, and they have now. So we, between fed, uh, national and state organizations, we've got over 85 pharmacy organizations, and they're still coming in because a lot of times pharmacy organizations have to go to their board. No one has said no. Pharmacy has never been more united uh, on this. And Todd, I think it's because 
we're just, I mean, like, what do you have to do to show the world, right? Okay, the pandemic, we came, uh, we were there. We, I'll just say this right here. We are at risk of not being there when needed, uh, when there's another pandemic, okay? The, the pharmacies continue to close. If not now, when? Uh, and we are just like, uh, you know, Dr. Dolce set me up with, with uh, IDSA and we've got some uh, outreach to those groups. And we need uh, physician champions like Dr. Adalja, uh to, to, to help us uh, to, to, to move forward. So every pharmacist works closely with physicians and uh, we're gonna uh, work with our partners to, to help move this, move this forward. But pharmacies united like they have never been taught. Thank you for that. And I, I agree. I think that, you know, as a consumer, you know, the non-pharmacist, uh, the non-physician on this conversation, it worries me that things are uh, delayed at getting the services and, and the patient treatments and the immunizations that our, our communities need, especially, like you said, Scott, the ones that don't have proper uh, medical centers, uh, clinics, pharmacies because of them drying up and it does tie back to business. There has to be a balance between the profitability of business and the services provided to uh, to our our sectors of of many places in the United States. Goodness gracious, that don't have enough um, medical services. So I I kind of want to bring it back to the the pandemic and the light that you shine, uh, Doctor Jalja, when you do many of your um, your news updates. Where are we, by the way? I mean, I, I know that much has been happening in the world. Uh, the world stage is really focused on uh, some of the um, foreign affairs and, and Russia and the Ukraine, but we're still in a pandemic. So um, give us an update from, from your perspective. I think in the United States, we're in a, in a fairly decent place. And I say that because we've come out of a bad Omicron BA1 variant wave, which infected maybe 45% of the U.S. population. So now we're left with a, a population that has a lot of immunity from prior infection, a lot of immunity from vaccination. And it increasingly is going to be difficult for this virus to be able to cause the level of damage it once did. Not that we're not going to see cases go up and down, that we're not going to see hotspots, but we're not going to see the level of of alarm in hospitals with hospital capacity. And part of that is the immunity, part of it is the monoclonal antibodies, part of it is the, the, the antivirals, and part of it is, is also the vaccines. So I think all of that tells us we're kind of moving towards that endemic phase where COVID-19 is treated more like every other respiratory virus. Um, and we've shifted the spectrum of illness to the milder side and we won't hear about ICU capacity concerns again. I think that's the likely trajectory, but you have to remember that COVID-19 is not a, a virus or a disease that can be eradicated or eliminated. It's always going to be with us, but, and the goal has always been to tame it, to defang it. And I think that's what our medical countermeasures do. That's what our knowledge has done and, and, and the immunity in the population, but be prepared for uh, hearing about more variants or new variants that occur and hotspots that occur. But in general, they're going to be much easier to handle and we won't see the, the type of alarm that we saw in the past. And I think that's always what the goal has been with this virus. And I think we're finally, finally getting there uh, a lot late, but definitely getting there. It's a treat for us. On that, on that you know, uh, and, and I'm sure everybody saw, you know, the CDC just recommended a second booster, which would be a, a fourth dose for folks. Uh, so obviously uh, everything, uh, 
Dr. Dahlia just talked about is, is completely accurate, but there's going to be, you know, continued demand uh, right now. And I think that the word, Todd, that, that we got to talk about here uh, is, is access, right? It's all about access and, uh, and health equity, right? So we, without uh, the capacity that pharmacies provide uh, in underserved areas, uh, then, then it's a huge, huge issue. And we're having a, you know, a national reckoning about health equity, which is, you know, a good conversation to have. And this, you know, is going to help with that. You know, not one thing is going to solve that, but, but having access uh, to treatment is absolutely critical. Well, I appreciate uh, both of you um, coming on. This is a collaboration of a physician a doctor, medical doctor, and a and a PharmD. So this is an absolute treat for us, for our listeners. This is happening every day. And there are so many pharmacists that I speak to week after week who tell me that the majority of their physicians and doctors that they work with are supportive in their role as a pharmacist. And, and so I wonder... There, there must be a few in Washington, D.C. that kind of hold the reins of everything because the true practicing physicians in the communities are saying, yes, for goodness sakes, here's the ball, here's the treatment, go pharmacists, go do what you're supposed to be doing, take care of our patients and collaborate with me if something comes up, you know, and, and, and that's what we do. So continuing to evolve the services available to our communities, um, it, it has to happen, especially as as Dr. Dalja has pointed out that you know we the the pandemic has has been stabilized in the United States, but we have to be vigilant, we have to be ready, we have to be um, constantly studying. Um, you, you can't stop as a as a pharmacist or or a physician in understanding what's happening in the world of of infectious diseases, but also medications, new medications coming out all the time. We're doing a, a special on clinical trial innovation, how pharmacists and physicians are specifically working together on increasing um, the, the speed of clinical trials through artificial intelligence. And so that collaboration is increasing, but it seems that our, uh, some of our associations are, are butting heads and it's completely unnecessary. I wanna say uh, thank you um, to Dr. Adalja for returning to the Pharmacy Podcast. This has been excellent to have you. And Scott, you're a champion of our profession, um, a breath of, of fresh air, and the aggressiveness that you take to fight for pharmacists is is um, is incredible. So I want to thank you both. Hey, Todd, just hey. real quick, uh, you know, it, I'm fighting for patients, right? I, I'm a pharmacist, so I do that through the lens of pharmacy, uh, just like Dr. Dalja does uh, through the lens of medicine. I want to thank Dr. Dalja for his advocacy for patient access and also for his direct patient care, right? Okay, we just, we're just we going into an endemic from a pandemic. He's an ED, ICU, and ID physician. I mean, God, I mean, no one is more impacted uh, here. So thank you for directly treating patients, my friend, and thank you for putting patients at the forefront and not politics. So I'm a patient advocate who does that through the lens of pharmacy, Todd. Thank you so much, Dr. Dalja. Thank you for coming back. We hope to have you back again and get additional updates directly to our pharmacists and technicians that are out there. But I, I want to say thank you again. Thanks again for having me.